You are listening to a sermon preached at Still Bay Baptist Church in Still Bay, South Africa. For more information, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you be blessed in listening to God's Word today. Yes, Father, how wonderful every testimony that you know what you are doing. And we are the ones that often wonder and doubt and and fear and worry, but you just keep on doing what you know you are doing. And Lord, thank you that we can come in faith and just follow, and just follow and to know that you are God who is sitting on the throne, a God who is not just a mighty king, but also a loving Father who who turned to us in our need and in our worry and in our stresses, and, and you give us all that we need, all that we need to keep on going until that day when you will return. And so we praise you for your goodness in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. In December, we've been looking at a series, and we're ending it today, and this idea of seeking shalom, finding God's promised peace. And so what we, what we have been doing is what we should always be doing as Christians, is that we, we, we hear from God, and then we do what He says. Now, the way we hear from God is to open the Bible and to say, God, speak to me, speak to us. That's the way. You don't close your Bible and say, God, speak to me. That would be like going to your wife and saying, wife, I really want you to communicate more with me in 2024, but please don't use words. Please don't open your mouth for the whole year, but communicate with me. Let me know what's going on. That's the same thing as trying to hear from God with a closed Bible. God has chosen the Word as His medium of speaking to us. He speaks through the Spirit, through the Word, as a living Word, not a dead book written many years ago for them, a book that's alive today. And so in this journey, what we've been doing is to say, God, tell us from your Word about peace. Tell us from your Word about shalom. Tell us what is available to us today. Um, I love this definition I found about shalom. It says, shalom is life. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace and more. Shalom is life as a marvelous melody in which every note of existence resonates, creating a symphony of wholeness and harmony. Shalom starts when we present ourselves as instruments to the Lord, the composer and performer of this life melody. So like I said, our question is that knowing that one day will come, we, we always look for one day, and not the world one day when my ship comes, but one day when Jesus comes. That's, that's our ultimate hope. We know that when He comes, perfection will come. There will be nothing that won't be shalom when Christ returns and He's dealt with evil and we enter His rest. There will be nothing that is not shalom. But our question is, until then, how much is available? Because if we can't have all of that now, does it mean we can have nothing now? Is life just grin and bear, and you look at 2024 and you go, ah, another year of suffering, just going to get through this year. And No, the Bible says, even in spite of the fact that we don't have the ultimate shalom yet, there's so much available in Christ. 
I'm going to give you one verse, Romans 15, 13, that says, May the God of hope fill you with a little bit of joy and a tiny bit of peace in believing, so that by the sometimes power of the Holy Spirit, you may have a little bit of hope. Is that what it says? No. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's not talking about the one day. That's talking about today. That's what's available today. There's a lot available um, of peace and joy and hope through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that many Christians are not experiencing. Many Christians read that and they go, well, that sounds nice. I wish that was true of me. I wish I could have a bit of that. Why is it that, that we, we don't have it? Um, well, the main reason being because we don't follow God like He wants to be followed. We don't love God like He wants to be loved. We don't please God and obey God like He wants to be pleased and obeyed. It's in that that we experience all of this. So we looked at various levels of the shalom. We looked at peace with God, and then we looked at peace with other people, other believers, and today we're going to look at peace in the world. Now some people might say, but you've missed one there. Peace with God, peace with other believers, peace with the world. What about peace in myself? What about inner peace? Shouldn't we have had a sermon on that as well? Well, the reason why we never treated that separately is because inner peace is directly linked to peace with God. Peace with God is the only thing that brings inner peace. There's no inner peace if it's not peace with God. Many religions or world systems have this idea of inner peace. So whether it is through meditation or pilgrimages or drugs, um, if you get to Yah and you can have your spiff and you will get your inner peace going. But you don't have to look in religion for that. Atheistic world systems also have their, their quest for inner peace. Um, just having distractions, to not have to think about 2024. Or cutting out people in my life. If I can just avoid those people and those people and those people, then I'm going to have my inner peace and no one is going to bother me. The problem with anything else offered is that it's not offering solutions. It's offering distractions. The solutions to all other systems, solution for inner peace is ignoring troubles, not fixing troubles. And so their solutions would be like, if my house is burning down, I sit there on my couch and I cover my eyes and my ears and I go, it's very cold, it's very cold, I feel a cold wind, nothing is wrong, everything is going to go away, I'm going to sit here and it's going to be so nice and nothing bad is going to happen. Will it help? Yeah. I might for a very short moment convince myself of that until the flames get me. Where Christianity is completely different. Christianity is not about ignoring the troubles. It's about giving you solutions to the troubles so that you can have inner peace. So in that same peace, that same image of your house burning down, Christianity's solution is here comes someone running into the house sitting next to you. A fireman, the Holy Spirit, who says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you your oxygen. I'm going to make sure that these flames don't get to you. 
until the other fireman comes who's going to come and kill the fire and take you out. No, that fireman is going to come and he's going to rebuild your house. And he's going to build it better than it was. I mean, can you face the fire then? Absolutely. Because now suddenly you have someone bringing solutions to the problems, not just ignoring the problems. That's the inner peace that God gives. Not absolute removal of the troubles now, but a solution for the trouble that will be implemented fully in the future. Now, I did all of this. I wrote all of this down. And then I watched a little video this week from Keith Green, where he says basically the same thing, and then he says something amazing extra. And I'm going to give you a bit of a teaser because we're going to listen to it now. If you are on a quest to know, but how do I know Jesus is the, is the guy? How do I know it's not Muhammad or Allah or Buddha? And this clip, Keith Green explains to you in his searches how he came to realize, but it's Jesus. Let's just watch that clip together. So I went the whole route of uh, the young people uh, today, and especially now in the West Coast, you know, the drugs and the religion and education, even the old days. And all of the different things that uh, I figured were going to satisfy me, and they did for hours or days at a time. But then I would look them down and, you know, go, well, that, that doesn't do it. Because I always knew that when I find true happiness and peace, we laugh. Because we were just always searching. that's fantastic. I love it. But there's one thing he said about this inner peace. He said, I realized very quickly if peace doesn't last, it's not peace. And that's the problem with anything we try to achieve for ourselves in the shalom. We are very, very capable of giving ourselves joy and peace for a short time, for a period, for a moment. But if it doesn't last, it's not true peace. The only one offering true peace is Jesus. 
And the only way to get it is to obey the gospel, to come before this God, and like he said, to realize, but you are the only God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're the boss. You're in charge. And if I don't bow my knee before you, there's no hope for me. And then to bow your knee before him and to ask for your sins to be forgiven. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And when you get there and it suddenly becomes about him and nothing else, that's when life starts making sense. That's when peace starts grabbing hold of you and it keeps a hold of you. That's the journey we've been on. Um, so the second part, that was the first part of our quest, peace with God. The second part of our quest was peace with other believers. Now the good news there is peace is always available between believers. If those believers live like believers. It's as simple as that. Peace is always available between spirit-filled Christians if they live spirit-filled lives. If they don't live for themselves, if they're willing to deny themselves and their desires and their opinions and their likes and their dislikes, and that the bond of the spirit of peace becomes more important, worshiping God becomes more important, then any issue you have with anyone can be solved. And we can live as community. Humbly, loving, self-denying, Jesus-honoring, spirit-filled. Now, that is great news because there can be big troubles between believers. Christians can have marriage troubles. And the sad thing always for me in marriage counseling is people come to me in marriage counseling and they want one thing from me. They want from me the chop of approval that they can get divorced. That's all they want from me. Because they've been fighting this battle alone and alone and alone and nothing worked and now they've given up. But they know the Bible says a lot of things about divorce. That's not very pleasant. So let's just go get the pastor's approval and we can get divorced. Come day one when the troubles start. Find help then because help is available. Help is always available in Christ when we learn to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. So that was the, the good news. And what we said is, I'm going to tell you two things to do in 2024. You can do other things as well, but do these two things. The first one is, the best thing you can do in 2024 to improve your relationship with others is to work on yourself. The best thing you can do in 2024 is not to focus on what the other people are doing wrong, but on focusing where I can grow, where I can change where I can become more humble, where I can become more loving, where I can get rid of my pride. That's the best thing you can do. But today we're going to make the circle a bit bigger and we get to the question to ask, what about peace in the world? Is it possible? This, this shalom that we start experiencing with God and ourselves that then spreads into a church, into a group of believers, into a family of believers and start affecting that, can that just start growing and growing and growing until it affects towns and, and countries and the whole world so that the whole world eventually starts living in the shalom? There are many people who believe that and they have many theological systems built around it. Post-millennials believe this. They believe that the millennial is going to be on earth where for a thousand years life will just get better and better and better until the whole world is Christian and then Jesus will come back. Dominion theology, kingdom now movement, all those things like um, 
Bill Johnson and them are part of this movement that says, our goal is to bring revival into our city. We claim more ground. We claim more ground until this block belongs to Jesus, until the suburb belongs to Jesus, until this town belongs to Jesus, until America belongs to Jesus. Um, is it true? Is it true that that's God's plan for how He's going to change the world? That there will be no more wars and crime and people will just become Christian? Now in 2023... We had the Asbury Revival or Renewal. They name it different things. And many people looked at this and they said, this is it. This is the spark. God has now lit the match that's going to start the fire that's going to change America, that's going to change the world. Did it change? That's a complex question. Because for some people, their lives changed forever. And we praise God for that. People in the midst of that revival who were living far from God got to know Him and they got saved and they're living for Him. And we praise God for that. But America is exactly the same godless country that it was before that revival. Perhaps even a bit more godless. And so why? Why is this? The thing is, this idea that Christianity is just going to spread and become bigger and bigger and bigger just does not fit with the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple of verses just to show you. I'm not bringing my opinion. I want to point you to the Bible. The first verse is in Matthew 24, 6 to 8, talking about the end time. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. If every Christian in the world starts praying that all wars must end, will all wars end? No, because God said it will happen. Nothing God says will happen, we can undo in prayer. We can't. He said it must happen. It will happen. A bit further down in that passage, verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another. Fall away from what? Fall away from Christianity. Fall away from God. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Another group leaving the church. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. In South Africa, we have people who stop being Christians because we have an evil government. And they said, where's God? Why is he not fixing our government? If that is God and he can't even fix our government, I'm not going to trust in him. And God said, I told you there will be evil governments. I told you. Why are you surprised? Maybe you should have been reading your Bible and then you would have known. But this is what will be. Now there's a, there's a verse that is often used to say, but look, the, the kingdom will spread and cover the whole earth. And it's in the same chapter. And it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And people want to make this verse mean that, look, the whole world is going to change. But that's not what this verse says, and that's not what the context says. The context says the gospel will spread, and everyone will hear. Will everyone be changed? No, it will be spread as a testimony. So some will hear and they will take it as the best news ever and they will be saved. And some will hear it and they will hate it and they will reject it 
And when they stand in court one day, it will be used as testimony against them. That you rejected the good news offered to you. Um, so the good news is the gospel will spread. Um, we have a massive problem in our church that we all have way too many white faces in here. We are not a good representation of God's kingdom. One day in heaven, it's going to be everyone, every color, every group, every nation, every tongue, and it's going to be fantastic when God gathers His people from everywhere into one big kingdom. Um, but no, as this verse has also said, many, the one before, it's not that the Christians will get more and more and more in the end. The love of many will grow cold. We see it in so many of the Western countries that it's, it's shrinking and it's shrinking. And again, that shouldn't be a surprise to us because Matthew also says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There are people here today who are not on the narrow way because they think it's hard. And it is hard, but it's worth it. You can choose the easy way and lead to destruction, or you can pick the hard way where you walk with Jesus. So, looking at all of that then, does that mean that there's no peace available on earth? It's just going to be horrible and war, and we just have to suck it up and put locks on our doors and high walls and put up everything we need, solar panels, everything we need, so we can just lock the whole world out and have our shalom inside while the world goes to pieces. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that, but we'll get to that. But what we need to realize now is that if you spend much of your time praying for world peace and your happiness is invested in whether God is going to answer that prayer or not, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're praying for something that God said is not going to happen. Now, again, we will see. You must pray for it, but it must be in balance. It must be in perspective. Okay, so um, before we see what we must do in this world, let's just summarize again where we were. What shalom is available? Individually for me, there's shalom available. In a broken world, in spite of the brokenness, I can have peace with God. I can have inner peace. I can live my life with joy. The other thing that's available is that in this gathering of believers, we can live kingdom lives. We can live a bit of the kingdom that's coming here already. That's available. What is not available is peace in the world. Very little available Available for a short while, available, unstable, intermittent. And when I looked at that, I realized, but that's exactly the Christmas message that we heard. Jesus is waging a war for peace. Jesus is our Char Shalom, a warrior of peace, the one who comes to do battle to bring peace. But there are two parts to that battle. The first part of that battle was fought when he died on the cross and he defeated death for himself and he rose from the grave and he ascended to heaven. That was the first part. And what did he achieve there? He achieved peace that I can have with God. I don't have to be an enemy with God anymore. He, he disarmed Satan. So Satan can't control the church anymore if we all belong to God. So this peace between believers is also possible because of that first war. 
But peace in the world is not possible because he hasn't fought that part of the war yet. When he comes again as a warrior, he's going to do the battle that removes Satan and removes evil so that the shalom in the world that we are longing for and, and seeking and desiring will happen then. Okay, so now, does this mean we just give up any hope for peace in our towns, in our country, in our world? No. But we must readjust our expectation to fit in with the biblical truth. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things that we should be doing in terms of world peace. The first one is Christians should always work. Now work can be prayer or work for peace in the areas they are involved in without compromising on any Christian values or commands to achieve that. So what I'm saying is that in my company, I can say, let's do as much as we can to make this company worshipful to God, pleasing to God. My effort must be there. That I must pray for my colleagues. I must, I must work in my work ethic to live kingdom principles so that in this company I can make a change. But never without compromising any Christian values. Um, Jeremiah says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile, and pray for the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Now some Bibles, like the NIV, replaces welfare with the word prosperity, and people go, that's the one. I think I must start reading the NIV. It talks about prosperity. For if the country is prosperous, then I'm going to be prosperous. Now, those of you who have been following along with the series, what is the Hebrew word there? Shalom. It's not, nothing to do with money. It's the goodness of God. If your city starts lifting the goodness of God, you will start experiencing through that the goodness of God. So this should be our goal. But Hebrews, again, is a reminder that says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which one no one will see the Lord. So he puts them up and he says, strive for peace, but don't forget holiness. If the world demands of you to live in a certain way so that you can live at peace with them, and it's against God's way, you say, sorry, I'm not compromising on God's way. If that means you're going to hate me and you're going to make war with me, then fine. This year in Africa, for those who don't know, you will be surprised how many Christians have been killed this year in Africa by Muslims who come into a country and they say, accept Allah or die. Now you can go, I think world peace is a good thing. It's a good thing that I must live with these Muslims. So let me just accept Allah. Is that a solution? No! You accept Jesus and you die. That's God's solution. That's God's way. Um, Christians should never be the reason there isn't shalom unless there's no way to stand up against unholiness without removing shalom. There was a story, this, not a story, a real thing, about a dad in Canada who his child, his 12, 14-year-old child, came to him and said, I want to go for gender reassigning um, operations. And he said, no. You're my child. You're under my authority. You're under my roof. You will not do it. So he had a choice in that moment. 
Am I going to say yes to have peace with my child? Or am I going to say no because I stand for God's holiness? And he said no, and he was taken to court. And I think the thing he was eventually found guilty on was misgendering his child. And he is currently waiting. Maybe by now he's had his court case. He's not allowed to leave the town that he's in. Um, his daughter was taken away, and she's now gone for all the treatments and stuff. A family broken up. Because a God said, but the, because a dad said, holiness will always be more important than peace with each other. And the guy that interviewed him said, what are you one day going to tell your child? He says, I'm going to tell her, I fought for you. When you didn't know, and you thought you knew, and you were making unwise decisions, I fought for you. I fought for godliness in you. I fought, fought for God's way for you. Okay, so, um, let's get back to this. We must always work at peace. We must always pray for peace. But never to the compromise of doing what God has called us to be and to do in this world. Now, there are many difficult questions in this. Should Christians fight in war? Should Christians, when the country calls up, go fight in war? That is a very, very difficult question. And if you ever have to battle with this question, I would advise you to go read Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a wonderful man of God, great writings, and he was an absolute pacifist who said that Christians should never retaliate. There's no such thing as revenge. We never fight against anyone. And then Hitler came on the scene. And he had this battle that he eventually became a guy who helped plant a bomb to try to blow up Hitler. But even, it didn't work, sadly, or not sadly, depending which side you're on. But for him, it was still inner turmoil. Am I doing the right thing? Should I be standing up against this evil? Or should I stand and say, no, no revenge, no taking the law in my own hand? So, luckily we don't have to worry about that question just yet. Hopefully not later this year. Number two says, what do we do for in with regard to world peace? People's salvation should always be more to us than living in peace with them. In our interactions with people, we should always be more concerned that they get saved than that whether we have a great relationship with them. Look at this passage. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. And you go, what? He's talking about his first coming. My first coming wasn't to bring peace. My first coming was to bring grace and salvation. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against a mother and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says you have a choice. You're going to fight for your life in this world and your relationships in this world and you're going to make it the most important thing or I become the most important thing. Now I know there are parents in this church for whom this is hard. Because your kids want nothing to do with God. And you know if you speak about God, they walk away. What do you do? 
How do you approach that? How do you deal with that? You deal with it on your knees before God, and you say, help. I love my child. I'll never stop loving my child, but I love you more. And the most important thing in my life is not that my child likes me, but that my child gets saved. That is my main goal and purpose in life. Salvation is always more important than peace between believers and unbelievers. Um, okay, the last one that we want to look at with regard to world peace is to say lack of peace doesn't mean lack of God. Find where God is working in peaceless situations and join Him. So when we look at the world and we pray that Hamas and Israel must stop fighting or that Ukraine and Russia must stop fighting or that this country and this country or this group and this group or this gang and this gang, we pray for it. We pray for God. We pray for the innocent ones suffering in the midst of those places. But if God doesn't answer that question, it doesn't mean God is not listening. It doesn't mean God is not there. It only means God is doing something different than what you are asking for. And then you go into that situation and say, God, what are you doing? Help me to see where I can be used in this. Now, earlier this year, Johannes and Charlotte's daughter shared her testimony about the madness of the earthquake in Turkey and how anyone who doesn't know God well will go, where was God in all of this? Can I tell you where God was? He was there creating an earthquake. Because of the earthquake, the church was able to rise up. Because of the earthquake, people started looking at their lives and saying, I need something more, and they started looking for Christians. Do you think God will send an earthquake if it will save people? Absolutely. He did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword that divides between believers and unbelievers, and He wants people to go to the believer side. But he's not going to compromise on that. God is using wars and fighting to achieve his purposes. In those circumstances, it's often easier to show the love of God and to call people to change. Tumultuous times are times of ministry. And we have to see it like that and grab it like that. Okay, so in conclusion, let's conclude the whole series. So much of our life frustrations is because we want the things that are not available and we neglect the things that are available. I'm going to say that. So much of our life frustrations is because we want the things that are not available, and we neglect the things that are available. <clears throat> what is not yet available? Removal of your troubles, removal of sickness, removal of wars, removal of oppression, removal of family violence. That, the full removal of that is not yet available. And often we focus our prayers just on that. And it's good to pray for that, but not only for that. Readjust your look and say, God says this will happen one day. But let me also focus on what He says is available now. And what is available now? Peace with God. The grace of God. Friendship with God. Um, we looked at this idea of the grace of God. It says, it's God gives you everything you need to fulfill your calling in this world. And so I, I said one thing, two things I'm going to ask you of 2024. What was the first thing? Let's see if you can remember. What was the first thing? You're going to have to restart this year if you don't get this right. <laughs> what was the first thing you need to do in 2024? In conflict with others? Work on yourself. The second thing I want to ask you to do in 2024 is focus on what you have and not on what you don't have. 
Wake up every morning and focus on the good you have from God and not those things that you think you need to have a good life. If you needed it, God would have given it to you. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. So what's available? Peace with God, friendship with God, the access to the grace of God, hope for the future, ability to rejoice and grow in suffering, love through the Holy Spirit, peaceful, great relationship with other believers. That is available to us today. Start praying for that. Praying for you to experience that more and more, for others to experience that more and more. And let, it, let all of this change the way we think about and pray for the world. We are not here to work for world peace. We are here to find people in the midst of war and bring them to peace with God. That's our role in this world. So the war in Israel and Gaza, you know what I dislike most of what's happening? That is splitting the church in two. You have the pro-Israel crowd and you have the pro-Palestine crowd. Oh, how can Israel be doing this? They are killing children. Oh, how can Gaza and Hamas be doing this? Who is right? Who must I support? I'm going to tell you who I support. You want to know? Or is this too dangerous? I support Jesus. And I support His mission to save people. And whether they're from Palestine or from Israel, it's immaterial to me. They both need Jesus. And so my, my, my effort is going to be to be on my knees and pray for the evil that's being done, that God will work, f- fight, and, and protect the innocent ones. But I'm going to pray for the salvation of the Jews who might think they know the Father, but they don't know Jesus. And I'm going to pray for the Palestines who know nothing and who live in a world system that's very broken. To find Jesus. Now, if I lived in Israel, there might have been more. There should have been more. If I lived in Israel and Palestine, my time would have been taken up to be in that war, helping the poor, helping the innocent, helping those suffering. But I don't live in Israel. I live in South Africa. This is where I must have my attention. And so what about the war in South Africa? Is there a war in South Africa? There might not be a war, but there are many battles. Battles between groups, battles to survive, battles against corrupt powers. And so here we also say pray for salvation. I hope you pray more for the salvation of the lost than you pray for ESCOM to be fixed. It shows your heart. What you pray for shows your heart. Are you more concerned of the lost or are you more concerned about your light that's not going on? So what do we do in the midst of this war? We pray, we help, we find those who are struggling, we help them, we show them love, we show them kindness, we support those who are right there able to help. And we get on this mission to bring shalom between people and God. So, I'll end with this. One day Jesus will come. He is going to come back again. He's coming as a warrior. And he's going to fight the rest of this battle. And he's going to bring world peace. We will experience world peace. We will experience the new earth, all evil gone, shalom forever. But until then... We get to experience shalom in a broken world. Shalom is not something Jesus gives. Shalom is something Jesus is. And you only find it if you're in Him. You only find it if He becomes your everything and the center of your life. So pursue Jesus. Pursue Him. Make it about Him. Let's pray together.
Yes, Father, if we were in charge, we might have done things differently and we might have worked to just remove all trouble. But thank you that you are wiser to know that if you step in today to remove all trouble, you will also remove every chance for people to be saved. And so you're a patient God. You allow Satan to run around and lead world systems because you are busy working in the midst of that to find lost souls. And you call us to join you and to work with you. Lord, thank you that when we go into this battle, into this calling, into this mission, we go as people with shalom in our hearts. We go with people with shalom with you and shalom with those who battle with us. That we can experience the fullness of that joy and peace today if we fully submit to you. Lord Jesus, come again. We long for your return. We are not made for a broken world. We long for your return. But we know we are here for a calling and for a duty. And Lord, we pray that our eyes will be opened, that we will be sensitive to the Spirit, to know why I am here, why you placed me where I am placed, with the family and the people and the companies and the workers and the neighbors around me, to be a bringer of shalom to people. Only in your strength, Lord. Only in your power. We pray for 2024 that each one of us will step closer, will lean in more, will make it more about you so that we can experience a shalom. Lord, I want to pray for those who've made 2023 about themselves. And they are sitting here and they're frustrated. They have marriage troubles, they have family troubles, they have work troubles, they have financial troubles, and they have no solutions for, solutions for it. Lord, I pray that they will find you pray that they will bend the knee before you as the king, repent of their sins and make it all about you. Thank you that you are a saving God, that we are never so far away that we can't come back, that we are never so broken that you can't heal us again, that our relationships are never so broken that you can't heal it in shalom between believers. Thank you for your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you were blessed in hearing God's word today. For more information or prayer, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you find your life in Jesus Christ and Him alone.